everyone, and welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, a Degrassi viewing podcast. I'm Donnie, your wanting-to-be-bright-eyed and bushy-tailed veteran. I'm Frank, who is just in the neophytes who are just in so much pain right now. And today we have a very special guest. A uh, This is actually the second time this person has appeared. Uh, for those of you who maybe missed this introduction, this is somebody who has a lot to say when it comes to media criticism, um, and is also someone that I like to call my better half, uh, Gwendolyn. Woo! Hello. So today we're going to be talking about season two. We've made it. We have made it to season two. Um, episode one and two, which is called When Doves Cry, part one and two. And before we get anywhere, it is really important to do a content warning with this one. Um, this one explicitly talks about abuse, um, explicitly displays abuse, uh, between a father and son. Um, it also talks about kind of the emotional and mental illness struggles associated with it, specifically, um, suicidality and depression. Um, so definitely be aware of that type of stuff. Um, it's a really heavy episode, um, a very heavy way to start your season, quite frankly. And um, also a uh, suicide trigger warning as well. Mm -hmm. Or attempted, but still. Yeah, no, it's important to make that distinction too. It's not just like ideation, <laughs> like it straight up goes to attempt. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Gwendolyn, we know your relationship with Degrassi at this point. Um, I guess we could make the argument that you've seen a couple, because you watched a bunch of episodes out of order with me. A that's that's ago. true. A couple weekends ago, we just like one of our friends was. We were talking about this podcast, and he was like, "Oh man, looking at the episodes, like I remember that phase. I remember this phase. Oh my gosh, that's so and so character. Oh man, this this character. I don't know. Shoot somebody. Wow." And then we just watched a few episodes. Um, so I know I know if you, I know about some of these characters. Very out of context. <laughs> yeah. Um, so while it was a great nostalgia trip for me, I think it might have just confused you, but... It just gave me spoilers, really. I guess that's true. <laughs> um, luckily Frank was not in the audience, so... Yeah, <clears throat> I, um, I watched this alone, and it was oh. a tr trying, trying time. I watched both episodes in the gym, and oh. I... In the gym? <laughs> I was just like, this was a mistake! <laughs> This is not a this is not a public public place episode. No. <laughs> like, oh boy. Just, just grin and bear it. Just gotta hit, get, keep hitting your miles and don't let anybody know you're in pain. Right. I mean, I guess let's just jump to it, uh, Gwyn. If you would like to take on this part, uh, a plot, b plot, brief <clears throat> introduction. All right. So a plot. This is going to be about a new character, Craig. Um, which we're just thrown right into. We don't get really an interaction with him. It's just you are now placed in, in 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 Degrassi High. Is that what it's called? Degrassi Community School. Degrassi Community School. Um, after I've been told, after they've been absorbed, um, the the old school has been absorbed into this new school. So we get new characters. Um, kind of a clever way to introduce new characters to the cast, in my opinion. So we meet Craig. Um, and and Craig. We see him interact with some of the old students that we know and, and love from season one. And and then we learn about his relationship with his 
his family relationship, um, he is, he has a father who we've talked about abuses him and we see that plot happen. And his mother is divorced from his father and had a, had a family. She, she ran away with another man, I think was the story, um, more, more or less. And, 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 and made a family too with this other guy and had a kid. So he has, he has a, a half-sister, and her name is Angela. <clears throat> and, and he, Craig, gets to, gets to know, he, he sort of knows Angela through, since they are, they are related. And he really, really loves her. Angela really loves him, and they have this really cute dynamic. Um, but Craig's father does not like him being with Angela because she is a reminder of his wife that left him and he has a lot of issues and that that is the seed of the confrontation and the continued that 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 worsens the continued abuse that Craig is going through through both of these episodes um and we'll talk more about that in detail B plot is and I have no idea why this is juxtaposed to <laughs> to this like really intense dark A plot is this ugh, it's okay so Page. Okay, actually, I gotta start um, with TJ and Toby. JT. TJ, <laughs> you know, it does not matter. Um, <laughs> JT, JT and Toby are being their their usual dick selves, and I, I don't even know how this started. They were like in putting themselves into some like Degrassi. What are your chances of getting laid by this girl? computer programming oh he makes a database because that's how that's how terrible this kid is he makes a database and what are your chances are with getting with this girl from degrassi and and tj jt sorry i don't know why this is happening jt james tiberius because that's his name james tiberius yeah i don't think that's gonna help okay yeah i'm not a yeah, I'm not a star trek person if that's a reference to that yes that is a star trek reference so you knew that i'm sorry well, no, it's because he said um, Kirk, yeah. Captain Kirk. So I knew, I know that much. Um, <laughs> that's like the bare minimum, though. You sidetrack. You, you lost my train of thought. Yeah, uh, they make a database. They make a database, and and for whatever reason, D- JT is like, I'm I'm so great. I'm gonna go for the hardest girl to get, and and it comes up with Paige as a ninety nine or whatever percent chance of him falling on his face in, in failure. And so the B-plot is him trying to woo Paige, and, I mean, it's about as bad as you imagine. That's about it. We'll, we'll talk about it, but it's 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 bad. Yeah. And, and no idea why, again, why is this juxtaposed, this this ridiculous antics of, of gross boy, gross immature boy trying to woo our wonderful and beautiful star of the show Paige, why are they doing to this? Why are they doing this to us simultaneously while de- crippling us with with the a plot? We just don't know. Yeah, and that's like a big thing that I was trying to figure out because like we have had episodes that have dealt with pretty heavy a plots, like that has happened, but this one was so like the, the contrast between the two was so hard to digest where you have a kid literally getting the shit beaten out of him in contrast to like JT trying to like 
give Paige a green bear. Like, it was just... I still can't really figure out thematically, because a lot of the A-plots and B-plots have some sort of theme that you could kind of pull between the two, but I legitimately cannot, like, BS my way to find the connection between the A-plot and the B-plot. Toxic masculinity. Yeah. Oh. Sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, there it okay. is. <laughs> all right. I'll take it. Frank got one. <laughs> in, 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 all of its, in all of its forms. Um, immature boys and bad dads. I, though, here's the thing that I don't think the writers oh, no. were planning on No, that. not at all. I don't think they did at all. And I, that, that's my issue with it. Because, I, I, like, once again, this is not written by our superstar tag team of Susan and Tessa. This was Aaron and James Hurst, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm really wondering if they just think JT is the bee's knees, and that's why we keep getting saddled with his plots. I can't figure this out from a storytelling perspective, because I I legitimately... Wait, who thinks JT is the bee's knees? The writers. writers. I think the writers love Toby and JT, and I think that they think that they're like these lighthearted goofs, but like, I... And I don't know, because I remember... I didn't care for Toby, but I didn't hate JT when I was a kid. And I can't tell, and I was, I've was i been reflecting on this, and I don't know how much of this is just I watched the episodes like in weird spurts, and I would watch later episodes where character development happened, and I would hang on to that image of him, and then like kind of look past or hand wave. But like actually watching this episode by episode, week by week, it's exhausting how many plots they have. Like where you have like characters that are genuinely interesting that have maybe two or three compared to these chuckle fucks who literally are <laughs> always on. Also, fair warning, I'm going to be cursing a lot more this episode because I refuse to refer to Craig by his actual, quite to Craig's dad by his actual name. Valid. So I have a name already for him. So when we get to that, and yeah, it has a swear in it. Good. I'm prepared. Um, but yeah, no, there's just. <clears throat> I don't understand from a writing perspective, like, why you would waste this time where we have so many characters that are so underdeveloped, and yet we need to see, like, literally the day-to-day interior of JT and Toby. Like, the thing is, this could have been one episode if it just focused on Craig and, like, what was going on in Craig's life. Like, but because we have to have a B-plot, we have got settled this stupid... I kind of wondering if they're just like they have like a list of b plots and they're like the the a plots are Mm, issues and then the b plots are just like well how can we make it fit yeah like well this one won't work here so we'll put it here so to give an analogy it's like you're playing a dating sim and then you're left with like the two who at the end you didn't pair with anybody and they're like well i guess they go together now (laughs) a little bit yeah yeah i mean that would kind of make sense um I would also, gosh, I I had a thought and then it kind of, like, left my head. Um, I think that's a very, very good theory. Um, It's just, it's just so weird to me and, like, I'm really struggling with this. But like you said, like, another idea they could have had was, okay, so take this idea of being new or the outsider. Um, You have Craig and he's dealing with being abused whilst trying to start a new year at, at a new school. Contrast that to Ashley, whom last time we saw fucked up so colossally and is now trying to find a way to get back into some sort of form of normalcy. So you have two characters who are dealing with shit and it's 
Ashley's doesn't have to be super heavy. It could just be her goofily trying to find ways to make amends and always kind of fucking it up in like a somewhat comedic way. Like it doesn't have to be super depressing like Craig's, but at least the theme is there and it touches it touches back to characters and ideas that you care about from the finale. Yeah. yeah. As someone who didn't even watch the finale, I, I kind of heard a little bit about what it was about. And I imagine it was as as much of a disjoint a, a, a disjointing episode to follow the finale. I imagine uh, words are not working well for me right now. I imagine it was not making a lot of sense for people to even watch the episode. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. It's pretty bold to start <clears throat> your episode, and I guess we could just jump. I don't know. Do we want to tackle a plot or b plot first? Let's do, I think, B-plot. Yeah, because yeah. it's so inconsequential. Um, so we see rumblings of the finale throughout the A-plot and B-plot, kind of based on where alliances are and where friendships are. Um, and it's one of those things where, once again, this was another episode where the camera has, like, this long-distance shot of JT and Toby in the hall, and I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> those fucks again. <laughs> It's like seeing the shark from, like, the Meg. You're just like, oh, fuck, here it comes. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, well, I know something bad's gonna happen, I guess. Um, so, okay, well, we have, everybody's coming back to school. We just skipped over the summer. No episodes for the summer, I guess. Wait, so, we're, we're introduced to the new school, and this is, okay, this is kind of Not new pot. school. It's Degrassi, but with new students. I don't know a thing. I don't know a damn thing. I'm just, I'm just assuming here. Anyway, it's, this there's episode. new characters. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, there's new characters, <laughs> and we see we see Emma and and Manny um, walking into the school, and I just have to bring this up because it was never answered. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> they're like they're like ogling boys. They see Craig and like, oh, who's this hot new boy? I mean, he's kind of cute, sure. He's a snack. Um, <laughs> he's a snack, says Donnie. <laughs> I think they know. were saying it. I don't think Craig is a snack. He's a child. He's a child, but like, <laughs> as far as boys go, I can he's, see him he's, being cute. He is what a middle school to high school <clears throat> girl wants. Okay, let's stop covering our asses here. Anyway, <laughs> Emma, Emma, and Manny ogle him and then turn to the school and walk in. But before they walk in, they just high five. But they don't only high five. <laughs> they high five with boxing gloves. <laughs> I was just, I forgot about that until you remind me of it. I was like, you're right. Where do those, bo- why do they have boxing gloves? Where did those boxing gloves come from? I, I, they, they were, they only came out into, into, into the camera when they high-fived. They went away and were never talked about ever again. And we were never given any context to why these boxing gloves were, were apparent in the scene. But I will say, what a great way to start off the new year. High-five with a boxing glove. My- boxing gloves to beat the crap out of bad boys well that's actually i that's where my mind kind of went where after emma got shoved to the ground last season she's just like you know what fuck it i'm gonna start taking self-defense courses nobody will ever shove me again oh yeah so, beat him up anyway that was that was a little bit of a side this is, this is us starting the new school year but and but yeah emma and manny are i'm boys and mm-hmm. they're like this is 
that like they like look at all the points like this is why summer vacations overrated is like okay that's the most ridiculous line i've ever heard true and all the boys are ogling girls <laughs> yeah yeah so at least we got our our gender equality there oh baby yeah so like you also have like a lot of the tensions kind of reestablished. so like sean is there and he's kind of lone wolfing it him and jimmy like like make snide remarks at each other and like when they're not jimmy's just staring at the back of sean's head as if he could explode it with his vision like it's it's obvious that though it has been a summer a lot of the issues that originated from the end of school year party are still very much present the boys are making all these comments about the new you know, the new pool of girls who are going to the school. Because, um, just for clarity's sake, uh, Degrassi was only 7th and 8th grade, but now 9th through 12th have joined up with Degrassi. Okay. So now it's... Thanks. That helps me and our listeners. (laughs) Um, so now, like, there's senior girls and 9th graders, and the halls are super packed because... I guess Canadian TV was also like, yeah, let's, let's start throwing some money at this now. We don't have to have, like, a dozen students. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, I guess we could make this almost look like what this would look like. Um, which I was in a, I was in a school like this. I was in a 7th through 12th grade school. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's interesting because it's like, you do interact with the high schoolers. I mean, not always, but you do. Like, there are moments in the hall where both classes are traveling and, like, it's always this very weird kind of dynamic that that happens. And if you're in certain clubs, like, you actually, in a middle, in your middle school, you actually do spend some time with high schoolers. I don't know. It's interesting to watch it play out because I think a lot of teen-targeted media doesn't explore this type of format of school. So... I, oh, like, I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I remember, like, going from 6th to 7th and being like, I'm going to be with seniors, like, they're going to just, like, beat me up all the time. <laughs> and, like, I got there, they could have given less of a shit Oh, about they don't me. give a shit. The middle schoolers care so deeply, and then, like, the seniors <laughs> are like, uh, mm, I might have stepped on a child, but I don't know. Like, the seniors were generally pretty nice to me also, like, when I did interact with them. I went to a pretty good school. <laughs> Yeah. We had a bad reputation, but we were good kids. That's good. Anyway, so all these new students, all this new pool of girls to ogle for the boys, I guess. Quan and Snake are all teaching high school. Like They're like, uh, your course load is ridiculous. I'm trying to get us on track. Sorry. Right? Anyway, so so all, all, these, all these boys are ogling the girls, and that leads us to our B-plot where, where Toby and, and JT are are doing the exact same um, and trying to figure out who they could get with. I will say I like this weird little continuity thing, which is if you look at the database, there's a lot of grammatical and spelling errors, which brings back to like one of the like first episodes of the season where he, where Toby like forges that letter and it's like totally written wrong. So like, I liked that weird little continuity that happened, like factor was spelt wrong and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, we do retain some information from what, you know, what has been developed prior. But yeah, we're, we're following different people right now. Like we follow JT and Toby as they're ogling girls and whatnot. And then we um, cut to Terry, Hazel, Spinner, and Paige walking through the halls, and Paige is complaining that she has a fullet, a female mullet. 
Um, <laughs> yes, this detail. Um, she's like, like, I have the haircut of, like, people in, you know, people from the trailer park and whatnot, and, like, yeah, and, like, points at some new students that we haven't seen before. And um, she's like, my parents won't give me money to fix it unless I clean out the garage, which I'm not doing. <laughs> in classic page style. <laughs> I think... Um, and then, like, Craig says something to her. I think he says, like, I think you look great. And she just completely dismisses him. Yes. She's like... Oh, gosh, what did, what did she... What did he say? <laughs> Party in the front... He said, he said something, like, kind of dumb, like, just reiterating what she said. And she was just like, yeah, that's what I said. And turns away and walks... Uh, like, turns around and walks away. Thanks, um, Mystery News at Five. Yes, yes, that was that was her quiff, I think. Something like that. Oh, honey. She just has no time for him. I really enjoyed no. it. And, um... So, like... Toby starts talking about this nice guy database he created. <laughs> um, called Isaacs. Which stands for something. I don't care. I don't care. It's his last name. We get it. <laughs> oh, that's what it's for. Gotcha. Okay. Fuck you, Toby. <laughs> You're in eighth grade now. I feel less pity for you every year you get older. <laughs> anyway, and so he they put in uh, JT's information, and he matches with Terry. With, and, which um, is an insult to Terry. Yeah. Surely. Like... And JT's like, Terry's not really my type. I'm gonna go for, and clicks on page, and it's 0.03% match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Specifically, he wants, he wants to take on the, the biggest challenge he can get, because he thinks that highly of himself. He also whips on these, like, ugly-ass wire rim sunglasses oh, God, they're, for they're... emphasis. And I can say that because I wore wire rim glasses during that time period, and... It was, I I suffered, so I feel that I am entitled. <laughs> okay. They're everywhere too, Ev- like like I want to say ten percent of Degrassi has these awful different colored wire rimmed sunglasses and. Like Paige is wearing them, but Paige makes them look good. But Paige is also wearing like stars on her titties, so like <laughs> she's yeah. just rocking that style. Yeah. Well, Paige also, like, let's give her that. Like, she has, like, the cool, like, fade on the lenses and everything. Like, like, JT She's at least committing. Up, yeah, JT straight up look like what I had prescribed to me as a child, but with sunglasses, like, lenses. Okay, and I know, like, I don't... I don't want to take us too heavy too soon. That's what the A-plot is for. But I do have to say, I think another reason why JT wants to go after Paige is because of Paige's reputation. And I'm... Not oh, yeah. Here. Oh, certainly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean... He, I, I think absolutely. He he wants the action that he does not understand, and he thinks that's the best way to go about it. This is a kid that, that collected, like, from his cousin, like, porn URLs and shit. Like, he wants to... He wants to be sexually involved. He can't really... I don't think he actually knows what it is, but, like, so much of his, like, subplots have been him interested in sex. And yeah. also, I, this is probably the same cousin who sold him the ecstasy. <laughs> True enough. I want to meet, meet this cousin. I want to meet this super scumbag cousin. Right? 
But, like, that's the thing. It's, like, with Toby, like, I hate his white knighting and things like that. But ultimately, like, you know, he's being obnoxious and creepy. But I'm not, like, he he doesn't appear, at least in what we've seen so far, as obsessed with sex and the female body like JT is. Because JT, he, at one point he's talking to Paige, and I swear to God, he looks down at her breast three times while they are talking. And it's really overt, and he does this to Emma, and he does, uh, like, Emma a lot. And I I remember that in season one consistently, and he, he does not respect women at all and sees them as just vehicles for sex on, on the one hand though great acting because like that's oh, yeah. his character i was gonna say he has to look up at emma because emma is like a head taller than she he is <laughs> that's true but, but yeah um he also does comment like we so at the end of season one we saw toby comforting emma oh, um mm-hmm. after the whole sean thing went down and he does jt does give us an update on that offhandedly where he says you didn't do anything with emma like yeah or you sat on your hands or something along that those lines thank god right <laughs> no but i think that's the thing that really is grating to me about jt where toby pisses me off in many ways i think that you know he is he is bad in but he's bad in a different way where jt i think that there is the challenge i think is code for i think if i can actually pull this off i can get laid and it reiterates that really toxic image of sorts that has carried through with Paige that they've never fully, like, called out, except for that one episode where she's talking to Emma with the, you know, during the period situation. But it's very obvious. Ugh. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's awful. I just, I hate it. Like, I hate everything about it. Um, so... Um, JT just goes right into it. He he jumps right into it. He inserts himself into Paige's personal bubble. He does that all um, the time with every woman on the show, by the way. And and he just makes his presence known, and he acts like a worm. <laughs> um. He 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 grovels. He pleads. He persists. He does anything he can just to be noticed. He says, I'll do you favors, I'll run you errands, I'll be your gopher, but he d- he doesn't care about embarrassing himself. He, he understands that in order to get the attention of, of someone so popular, he has to... He has to placate to her. And this is the only way that he knows how. And it's it's just embarrassing to watch. If this episode wasn't already titled... Um... When does cry, and I would have already have the end music. I would put "Ain't too proud to beg," oh, "Too proud to beg," at the end of it. Or is it "Ain't too proud to beg"? It's "Ain't too proud to beg," because mm-hmm. that was always my thing in high school. I was like, "I'm too proud to beg." JT, you're no, awful. He, he does not care. It's, so, and, ugh, it's so manipulative. Yeah, he he manipulates himself into into Paige's personal bubble. And, you know, at, in the beginning, she dismisses him like the trash he is and doesn't want to deal with him. <clears throat> but he, again, he persists. He doesn't let, he does not, he, she turns him down, but she does, he does not let her turn him down. And he keeps on going at it until we get to, um, I think, I think she outright eventually does like outright say, I'm not going to go out with you. 
or something like that. Um, she gives him a definitive, which she later retracts, which we'll get to that. Um, because she talks with her friends, and her friends, who are they? Who are her friends? Hazel and Spinner. Hazel and Spinner, and they're, like, teasing her about the situation, which, rightly so. By the way, puberty hits Spinner <clears throat> like nobody's business. Oh, God, Like, yeah. he looks so different between season one and season two. I think it looks better. I think no, so, too. No, no, for sure, but I'm just saying, like, this is what happens when you cast <clears throat> children. Like, yeah. they will look drastically different between seasons because they are growing and changing because they're children. God, I really wish he could narrow to run through the halls. Oh my god. So we were saying that if the copyright wasn't a problem, uh, Spinner would be constantly decked out in Naruto and Dragon Ball Z gear. Yeah. Oh, hell yes. Right? <laughs> just, oh, hell yes. <laughs> Naruto running all around. Oh my gosh. Yeah, please. Like, he has like Dragon Ball Z shirts for every single day of the week. <laughs> so, so, so um, Paige's friends, Hazel and, and Spinner... They're teasing her about this, and they're like, "Hey, hey, you should, you should go out with them. Just you know, why not?" And then, and then ultimately, they 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 make a bet, or like like, no, they they say, "Hey, if you go out on a date with this loser, we'll we'll give you we'll like give you twenty bucks or whatever." Yeah, twenty bucks each. So oh, twenty bucks each from each. It would okay, be, so $40 it would be the total. money that she needs to get her hair done. Exactly. There's that continuity of the plot, and and so that leads us to the awful scenario. Of Paige going out on a date with JT. Yeah. And... I will say, like, when he spots her in the... Because they're doing, oh. like, a movie... Dinner in a movie type deal. And when they spot her, like, she's wearing this hoodie. It's, like, tightly around her. She has sunglasses on. Like... She looks like the Unabomber. <laughs> she is She is in full incognito. But she looks like... I was just like, how did she make the Unabomber look... look 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 cute <laughs> like and then she just like rips it off and you make the reels and you're like oh my god like i legitimately was pretty surprised when i saw it i was like wow she looks not like herself she would a bomber she really does not want to have this almost mullet she's no. she's going this far to go on a date but but she is still Paige, and she will not sacrifice any amount of social status that she can hang on to so she's going to make sure nobody sees her as best she can on this date yeah. Yeah. Okay, I actually just found a transcript um, website for Degrassi. That would have been really helpful to have, like, 16 <laughs> episodes ago. Yeah. Um, JT approaches Paige. Oh, look, it's grosser, gross and grosser. Hey, it looks like grosser wants a word with you. <laughs> um, in that case, okay, this is kind of shitty with Paige. In that case, I wish that you'd go back to your girlfriend over there and leave me alone now. Yeah, I was really upset that Paige made a comment like that. Paige, the the gay ally, like, come on, girl. Oh, but then we get the awful line, the battle has just begun, Paige, Michael Chuck will be mine. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> and Toby just says, okay. Yeah, no, that's the thing, like, Toby, like, Toby will never get under my skin nearly as much because as JT. I, I can give Toby credit for he doesn't want to go along with these stupid, awful plans. Okay. So, oh, God. So, so yeah, like... <laughs> Paige is like, whatever, just go to the movie. 
<laughs> I think they just eat at the movie theater, too. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. Do. Which is fine. I'm, I'm sure Paige is like, I don't want to be seen walking around with him. Like, I'm sure it was just a Paige plan of like, well, let's just eat here. Because I don't want to be seen walking around with you. Yeah. And like, they're talking and like, JT has this damn green bear. A, be- like, a beanie baby. Uh, yeah. Just like, here, hey, here you go. And I'm just, I want to die during everything of this. I'm not very articulate because this part makes me so mad. The Paige does not give less of a shit about this bear. <laughs> It's true. It just hangs out on the table. <laughs> so then um, Spinner and Hazel come by. Well, before we get to that part, like, they're talking. And the thing about JT is that somehow JT is entertaining to her. He makes really bad jokes. Like, they're the kind of bad joke where it's it's not bad enough to be, like, funny because it's so bad. It's just, like, it's just bad. It's just, like, this is not entertaining. This is not funny. It's not hilariously bad. It's just, why are you saying this? But to Paige, and I, this is no fault of her own. It's clearly a writer's fault. She somehow finds this entertaining. Um, she gives a joke back of her own, which is much, much, much better. And they're laughing and having a good time, uh, apparently. And she's and it's and it becomes apparent that she's actually having an okay time on this date, and she kind of lets her guard down a little bit. Yeah. It's true. I don't which, know why, but okay. Which, I mean, whatever, the writers wanted to have her let her guard down, so she lets her guard down, and at this point, of course, is when her friends walk by, when she's actually having a good time, and they come by to roast her. Well, they're like, all right, you win the bet, like... They just straight up toss the money on oh, the table. right in front of JT, making it clear that this was all a, a, a bet, and that she went out just to get money. If I was writing this episode, Paige would have gotten up, fuck, spiked that bear into the garbage, and then Super Bowl shuffled her way out of the movie theater. (laughs) (laughs) If I was the writer, this wouldn't be a plot. Well, I just imagine I'm, I took the I took the job begrudgingly. Oh god, you took the you drew the short straw this week, and you had to write a JT plot. Anyway, Where, so... Where's Susan? Can't she do this? No, she's off writing a competent episode. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> but we are here nonetheless, and and at the very least, Paige is still somewhat of a good person um, be, underneath all of the, the pettiness, and she does feel bad. She does. At least, at least she feels bad about accepting the $40 in front of JT. And she also does leave the bear there. She leaves the bear. She walks up. She she does leave him there after taking the forty dollars. <laughs> but she like she comes back to him later and says like, okay, that was that was kind of shitty of me. Sorry. She she does give a really good backhanded compliment, which is just I only date up. <laughs> oh, I missed that. Oh yeah, she straight up says like, you know, you know, you're not bad, JT, but. I only date up, so it's not gonna happen. To, to be honest, like if I if I got left halfway through a date, but the food was already there, I'd be like, well, fuck it, just eat both dinners and leave, and be like, yeah, oh, that bad. Oh, I have, I have, <laughs> I have the the parting lines of the date written down, which was after after JT finds out that he sees the money being put on the table, she's he says, in sad sad JT voice, you got paid to go out with me, and she just looks at him, doesn't respond for a few seconds, and says, sue me. <laughs> Gets up and leaves. 
<laughs> iconic. She's always iconic. She does, she does feel bad about it, but it's still... It's still Paige. Yeah, like, well, that's the thing. It's like, Paige is good on her own terms. And that's the way... I think that's just really what it always comes back to. Like, she knows right from wrong, but ultimately, it's to serve herself. So... You know, she she's still going to take the money. She's not going to give up the money at all in this context. She needs to fix her hair. However, she understands that there is a shittiness of sorts in this circumstance. So she's going to apologize. But even then, she's going to apologize in a page way, which is, we are never going to happen. You're all right, but fucking forget it. We're not we're not doing anything. And, and look, if you have a problem with our morality, I'm, I don't care. Like, JT is just so important to me. Like, he's not a good guy. Like, And it's constant. Yes. To, to, to give him, I mean, okay, I don't know JT very well, but to give him a little bit of credit, he's still a kid, and he's still learning, and I think it's okay to have some sort of forgiveness for him, or at least, at least feel bad about him, because he is just a shitty teenager right now. Maybe he'll grow out of it. Who knows? I guess I just, um, like, I've, I've <clears throat> seen it so continuously, and I've not seen, as of right now, much of an attempt at growth. That it's really hard for me to cheer for JT at this point. Oh, you don't have to cheer for him. Please don't. Or, or like, to tolerate him. <laughs> yeah. Okay, like, Toby, word. I can tolerate more or less. Because at least Toby has a couple times where he's a moment of reason. Toby, Toby didn't fake being gay. Uh, didn't fake being flamboyantly uh. gay to get out of dating Liberty Van Zant, Which Liberty Van Zant should also be dating up. Yeah. True. <laughs> true. So, like, whenever you're like, well, maybe we're being too harsh on JT, I think about that moment, and I'm like, no. I, I, yeah, okay, yeah, you're I, right. I'm thinking about if, you're this, right. if this took place today, the the absolutely, like, hate-filled forum posts that would come from this date on the Nice Guy forums. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. I, like, I bought her a bear and dinner, and I didn't get anywhere. Oh. <laughs> well, it does go somewhere, kind it does. of. He, it, gets, he gets his... Uh, okay, so, so slimy. So so Paige feeling feeling bad in her rare moment of feeling you know bad about this. She comes up to him saying, "I'm having some residual doubts about last night." That said, <laughs> I really needed the money. <laughs> and 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 so she apologizes in her Paige way, but then JT, being the slime ball that he is, says, "You know what could make me feel better." I always imagined that my my first Ugh. date would you know end in a a kiss, and he manipulates his way into having Paige kiss him on the <gasps> on the cheek. But still, that that is it's so bad. And the worst part is, and this is what always pisses me off about JT is like he very rarely, if ever actually gets the consequence he should have and this is what pisses me off about this situation is that it comes off like if you are a little less shitty than the other person you can manipulate your way and that's so much of what this episode is it's manipulation you can manipulate your way into having someone like give you the sexual payoff that you're looking for. We saw this last episode where, like, they were trying to entrap girls at their apart- at their little party, and, like, Toby got to nice guy, like, hold Emma while she was crying. That's not great. Like, that's not- no. Yeah, and, like, it's very obvious, I think, going back to what you said earlier in the episode, Frank, like, it's so obvious that there's some sort of bias of some sort toward these characters, and, like, 
how because they legitimately get away with things in a way that's just unacceptable really like they're in it way too much doing really awful toxic things associated with like fine it's, a, it's common things with teenage boys and preteen boys I get it but the fact that they don't learn is so infuriating to me. And I think this happens with a lot of the boys, too, in general. They never actually learn, and they're well, never given the chance to learn. They're given the chance, they just don't. But I guess that's I, but, true. But my, my counterpoint to this is that, hey, most teenage boys don't learn. Most teenage boys skate through middle school and high school making the same mistakes over and over again and not understanding why they're mistakes and not getting the consequences they deserve because they're boys and they're privileged. But my also- and and it, that's not that's not productive for TV. It's not productive for the kind of PSA style of of, of television that's th- that this is. Mm-hmm. But I will say it's probably more true to life than we would like to admit. Yeah, but I think it goes back. I think my gripe with it is is exactly what you said. Like this is a show that functions in many ways as a PSA. For all intents and purposes, it's meant to inform viewers about a topic that may be happening in in you know their friends or family's life but may not be directly happening to them so they're learning the warning signs the identifications and the way to like potentially deal with it and and that's what really infuriates me with this like i understand it's realistic but that doesn't mean that i think it's productive as a viewer to see it especially when you have characters like toby and jt who are literally we have done the song and dance before we have done jt is a horn dog three times off the top of my head we have done toby is a white knight well five see, times. this is this is like where we play the the jt is a horn dog song seven times on repeat and then one and then toby one, is and a then white one toby is a white knight and everyone goes oh thank goodness <laughs> and then it goes we back finally to... got toby as a white knight but then you know we're back to the usual bs it's just like it's just like if like i wouldn't mind jt being this way like if like if jt wants to like ask out like pretty girls that's fine but like when he starts wheedling his way in and Mm -hmm. starts acting manipulative that's awful like i have more respect for the dude who asks out a thousand girls but like when they say no he's like all right cool backing off later like that is so much better because he's just like, well, I tried, I failed, I'm moving on. Like that's what you do, and if you're healthy, and this is not healthy. No, and and the thing is, is where the a plot we see an unhealthy dynamic, and we see it called out as an unhealthy dynamic. JT's behavior, which is unhealthy toward mm. a lot of the girls, does not actually get called out as unhealthy. Uh-huh. It it buys into the boys will be boys, and I don't think the writers are smart enough to be like look you see like boys operate in a way that their their you know abilities are they're like you know their desires are unchecked and never called out and toxic masculinity is a thing and then what does that result in well that results in men who are horrible in in similar and different ways like it doesn't call it out like what it should I, I, just, I saw this, like, Tumblr post the other day that was just, like, um, female privilege is being able to, like, to uh, fake a headache to get out of sex. And then, like, they're, like, male privilege is thinking you're entitled to sex. And it was just, like, that's what, I, I was just, like, oh, yeah, that's JT. JT's the first. Yeah, this, this, is, this is the whole nice boy 
trope in in an episode um where the boy just because he does nice things and is sweet to to his his crush or the person who's his his conquest we'll put it that way that's more accurate that's what he's calling um it. yeah yes that's exactly what he's calling it i think he, he calls the battle the battle has just begun like yeah he, and he, 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 he says the battle has begun puts on his his awful colored sunglasses and <laughs> turns on douchebag mode and, and but like so this this is a trope that exists because it is real to life um nice boys do nice things and think they get compensated with sex and yes this is a middle school version of this but it's the same thing and we don't see we don't see the consequence we don't see we don't see the fallout we don't see the fallout we don't see there isn't any, any fallout progression it's just like oh th- th- actually the takeaway from this episode i think is that is that Paige lets her guard down around this kid yeah and like that's that's the big like actual character development character development of this that that she she lets her guard down of being like this 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 high what's the word click like like she's a queen bee she, yeah she lets down her queen bee persona to have fun with this this boy and i was just remembering like we saw this already also already happened <clears throat> the nice boy like trope thing when toby was doing this to emma and then like sean who had actual integrity at the time <laughs> at the time, <laughs> time like he got he Got the affection that he was, you know, that was deserved because he was actually acting like a friend and not just like a horned up teenager beforehand. A, a random side note, the episode I came on, if anybody was listening to that, who is listening to this as well, I saw Sean first and my immediate reaction was, is he gay? He kind of looks gay. <laughs> Bringing that back in season two, Sean no longer looks gay. He he doesn't have that vibe about him anymore. He's just got like that. I'm a teenage boy vibe. He, he, All your expectations, a teenage boy. Yeah. Um, who knows? Actor grew up a little bit. Just happens. That might have been somehow. A somehow he grew out of his gayness. Who knows? It might have also been a production note. Ooh. Ooh, you think? Yeah. Ooh. I mean, the show is not great. We know it's not great about certain things. Uh, no, it's it's already shown its ass, even in this episode Oof. about homophobia. Okay. Um, and I mean... Really? When? Paige's comment about how Toby is JT's girlfriend. She has, I missed that. She Lovely. Has, she has a gay brother. She was very... Like, I, I just don't... I think there's, like... I don't well, trust th- a lot of... It doesn't really, like... That, that pings a little bit of homophobia, but that's more gender yeah stuff <laughs> well, and okay. there's those are separate beasts they um yeah you can be totally like i love gay people but like oh, i love gay I, people when men are men and and present in in manly ways when yeah. okay i'll just in, i'll just run through the top hits last episode we had a nurse threaten spinner with a rectal thermometer true um jt and toby when they were caught watching porn were forced to watch gay porn as a punishment holy shit um, uh, what else? Oh, oh um, my. J- JT pretending to be a flamboyant gay man to well, get out of I, that will party. that will never live itself down. But like, at least was that addressed as bad? No, they're nope. gags. That's the problem. Is like mm. for a show who who and and the thing is is like I'm 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 really shitting on this B plot. I think the A plot was actually done very real, but like they're very choosy. Ultimately, like they fall on these like 
awful early aughts jokes and it's what makes this show suffer when you're watching in 2018 because a lot of those types of gags were totally fair game during the time period but it also speaks to like how ignorant these writers can be that they can be like i'm going to create a really nuanced gay character whom we are mere episodes away from meeting you stole my heart i know but but in the same breath we're gonna do these super tired homophobic transphobic jokes and it's really annoying. And I understand these are written by committee. And I understand that this type of stuff, like, you know, these types of things will fly through for various reasons because of the nature of the way these shows are written. Or, like, you know, one author, one writer is going to be more with it than the other writer. But it's still infuriating. And it's probably my least, one of my least favorite elements of rewatching the show is having to confront a lot of these jokes head on and be really upset. Because the reason why I loved Degrassi so much was for when it did LGBTQ themes right. And to see it do it wrong and see it be a joke, it, it's really hard as an adult to remember those moments that I did love. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Hey, remember when we said the a, the B plot was the less consequential one? Well, this Whoops. is this is us we're talking about here, and like when you put me and Donnie in a room together, we just go off. So I'm a fun sucker. Frank, Frank, I know you've asked me to like continue being on this show, but like this is what's gonna happen every episode. So am, that's okay. I am all for it because this is some good in depth analysis. That's what we do. Frank is our our uh, our five star review. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Our, our, our friend who wrote the, the sh shit, whatever. Um, I, okay, so I just want to throw, um, there's two moments we didn't really talk about because they don't kind of fit into either thing. Yeah. Um, Libby Van Zandt is nervous that she's going to be overshadowed by the older kids. Yeah. Which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Uh, Snake gets a moment where, like, JT and Toby are going doing their stupid nice guy database thing. He's like, look, I'm really happy you're all for, like, media immersions, but go home! Yeah. <laughs> I looked at... I, Donnie and I were watching this together, and I just, like, looked over at him for reactions, and he was just like... I get it. I feel that. <laughs> right? It's a big movie. I feel that. Please go home. I, I also... I want to go home, too. Something that doesn't quite fit is also Quan being like, we're over capacity. And in my head, I'm going, well, no shit. You're literally the only teacher that teaches English in this school. <laughs> um... <clears throat> And I, then I just thought, like, Spinner's gonna, like, demand that the English department hire new teachers, because yeah. now he's Mrs. Kwan, Mrs. Kwan's number one fan. <laughs> but anyway, um, and also Terry, poor, poor Terry is now the go-between between Ashley, the social pariah, yeah. and, like, the rest of her friends, which I've been in that role, it is terrible and stressful and awful. Yeah, yeah. Terry, go see a movie by yourself, take a day, take a day for just you. Take care of Terry. And let that be a plot that I can actually watch and enjoy, as opposed to, like, this garbage. Yeah, I mean, maybe you mentioned it before, but that would have been a much better B-plot to pair with this, unless they want to actually Ooh, have that be Terry an airpot. Terry being the go-between, that would be interesting. Um, yeah, ha having having the, the dynamics between Terry being the go-between between Paige and Ashley would have fit very nicely, I feel like, with the actual A-plot. Which um, is... At least, at least yeah. in, in, in atmosphere. I agree. And, and also, it would have been later, too. It would have been... 
Yeah, yeah. Like I said, like, you can yeah. have moments of comedy. And I think that's the thing that really bugs me with, like, some of the gags in Degrassi is, like, you can be funny and shit can be serious and you can still find ways to laugh. Like, that's why we have gallows humor and stuff like that. Like, the humor and tragedy are not necessarily, like, need to be entirely different things. But the fact that their need for comedy is, like, garbage humor that is just... <clears throat> ages so poorly it may not probably was not even that funny in the first place i don't ever remember laughing at any of this type of stuff as a kid either um, did you ever laugh as a kid to show this is this is a very real question and i do not appreciate being asked <laughs> but anyway sorry well i can tell you like the lame humor on power rangers was one of the reasons i hated watching that show but i still love the concept yeah because they ended every episode while they're like ha 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 we just made a terrible joke it was a stupid pun and i was just like oh god that's all jt is he's these dumb awful puns Ugh. i still say it would have been worse if he rapped but like I really hate that you keep putting that into the universe. I never want to think about JT rapping. And then, because I have this horrendous idea of him as a SoundCloud rapper, oh, and then no. I just want to die. Look, the show is over. My secret board can't hurt anything. All right, we've, we've, we've done our thing. We've digressed. We've analyzed this to death. Let's please get to this A-plot. <laughs> and we'll power ourselves through it. So... Again, again. so we go back to the beginning of the first episode of season two, where, again, we're just plopped into this, this new scenario mm-hmm. and plopped right into the life of this new character. And my immediate reaction of <laughs> seeing this character on the screen is, who does? New phone? <laughs> who does? Um, and, then re- and then immediately after seeing his dad and their interactions together and my prior, prior subtle Degrassi trivia knowledge from just being around Donnie, um, I'm like, oh, right, Craig and his abusive dad. Lovely. Yeah, it's, there, and this is the thing, like, the A-plot, I think, it's, it's not subtle. It is not subtle Mm-mm. at all, but there's details about it that I thought were very good, and I think an element of it is the tension that carries throughout this episode, particularly in the scenes between Craig and his father. There's this use of body language every time they are interacting um, whether it's just the two of them and everything's just very tense or the really terrible, probably one of the most terrifying moments to me in the episode was where the father is literally using like a rotisserie knife and it's like Ugh. whirling and I'm hearing it and I'm just like grinding my teeth while it's happening because like I don't remember him using it but I'm like oh my god it's terrifying he's using this and then like Craig asks him a question and he shuts it off. And there's this, like, terrifying silence where I was like, I don't know what he is doing. He is a very, very scary character to me. So so the way Donnie's talking about this is as if Craig's father is going to cut him up with this rotisserie knife. He's not going to do that, and he doesn't make any moves to imply that. But the atmosphere, you could cut it with a rotisserie knife. Um, it's, it's dense, it's thick. There is no joy in this household. No, no. Um, and, and that moment of cutting the rotisserie chicken is like, or the rotisserie, using the rotisserie, oh my god. The knife, Us- using that knife in that scene is generally like a, usually see that used in more of like a family setting, lively family, lots of people coming around to eat at the dinner table, maybe it's Thanksgiving. The juxtaposition of having that knife used 
when it's just two of them in a room, dead silence, and you can feel the unease radiating off of Craig. It it really, it's unsettling. It, it pings like these subtle horror movie notes in, 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 in your subconscious. Yeah, so, like, there's something very unsettling about this whole plot in many ways and the way that it's done, and the way that it opens is if you, because you don't really know the context, is a little in, unsettling in of itself because you, the opening shots are Craig taking pictures of Angela. Yeah, it was, it was very weird watching this. Um, you, you just, I mean, I you just have to learn on the fly. Yeah, like, I guess Frank, because like, we, we know Craig, mm-hmm. and you, you well. were watching this, you know better than, than Frank. Frank, what was your <clears throat> thoughts while you yeah, were watching please. the opening? Uh, what does this do? Like, why is this kid taking pictures of this other little kid? Yeah. This is so weird to me out. <laughs> but, like, um... And then, like, he runs home uh, when Angie sees him. And, yeah, like, when he goes into that house... I don't know if you guys have ever seen a horror movie called Funny Games. No. The whole thing is nothing but tension. And I just... Like, he sat down. I'm like, I don't trust this dude. Like... And, like, he comes running in, he's like, and his his father's just like, your dinner's cold. And I'm just like, oh, fuck me. And then Shitlord. Um, oh, good, that's his name? Yeah. Okay, we'll use it. <laughs> um, so Shitlord is just like, when I say six, it's six. And slaps the, the plate off the table. <sighs> and that's the point where I texted you, Donnie. Yeah. Oh, wow, two minutes in already. <laughs> yeah, that's uh-huh. what I figured that was about. It's... But yeah, like there's so many moments like that, and and it's like th- this, and maybe this hits me very close because I am an abuse survivor myself, um, where like you're constantly like there's a hyper vigilance that happens with abuse survivors. Yep. And and you and it's able to imitate that feeling as an audience. Like you feel constantly like you, even though you're sitting there just watching it are on the verge of doing something wrong and you're going to have some wrath be aimed at you. And you feel how emotionally taxing living in a house like that is. Like simple things just took on this new terror for me. Like, Mm -hmm. because you see Craig, you see shitlord drop off Craig, like at the school the first day. And I'm just like, Oh, I don't like any time he's on the screen. Like, um, Craig, Craig is, he's, he's a really good boy. Um, and whenever, whenever he's not in the presence of Shitlord, he is a ball of sunshine. Yeah. He's like, he's in a new school and everything, but like he, he appears to be acclimating pretty okay. Like, all he's, the girls he's pretty social. He's, he makes, he's pretty social. Yeah. He, he makes friends with Sean immediately. Yeah. yeah. And, and, like, people like him, more or less. Uh, Paige is not not phased, but... <laughs> no, Paige doesn't give a shit. Man, <laughs> Manny is instantly in love with him. Yeah. And... But then then when you see him in... In a scene with his, with his father... Excuse me, with shitlord, I guess is what we're going with. Here. Yeah, just um, you guys can call him what you will. That's okay, he, what he will I'll use it interchangeably. In so, <laughs> when we see him in a scene with 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 his father, immediately his tone, his his the way he carries himself becomes it, he freezes up. 
he he mm-hmm. becomes rigid he becomes twitchy he he is visibly uneasy he's activated. all the time he's he's activated 100 percent of the time he's in a room with his father yeah and and it's and then to to make matters worse this plot throws in this element with angela his half-sister and you see mm-hmm. them interact with each other multiple times and and the real upsetting part is okay the what like angela doesn't mind the photographs and is just happy to see him and oh oh to put it in context yeah uh craig craig does does photography as a hobby yeah like he's a he's dark not just room. he's he has a dark room he develops photos it's his hobby he doesn't just go around taking pictures of only this 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 little girl he, he, he photographs things it's his, it's his thing yeah like he likes photography and mm-hmm. like we we also find out because he does stop by her like her like you know her aftercare <clears throat> or whatever it is mm-hmm. like multiple times and when they see each other like she's so happy to see him and when when like one of the aftercare like aides go to like pull her away like she's just like oh that's my brother mm-hmm. like there is so much love between them. Yeah. And they have not been able to interact, but for all intents and purposes, like, we know that they live close to each other, so we know that there is some really messed up stuff happening. And, um, just, I'm not sure if we mentioned this before, but she is Jimmy's daughter. Joey. Joey. Did not Jimmy. Jimmy, that would be cool. <laughs> I, I, made, I made a mistake. Made a mistake. Yeah, I don't, I don't know who, do we know Joey? Yes, from Joey, else? okay, so... For, for people who don't know, uh, Joey, the last time we met him was in the first episode of Degrassi and the Next Generation. And for old school fans, he is one of the leads of the original Degrassi. So he's Joey Jeremiah. Um, I have my opinions about him, but... Oh, he's that kid. Yeah, with the hat. Oh my god, he was an with asshole. Ha- yeah, right? I hate Joey. <laughs> oh, he was a downright asshole. From the, from the one episode I saw of the original Degrassi... I loaded this kid. Well, anyway, he he grew up to be he's a pretty okay dad. Yeah, yeah. So so, so um, whatever. And, yeah, and like we saw him be a decent dad in the first episode because it, of the whole entire Next Generation series. Because the whole entire premise is like he recently lost his wife, who is Craig and Angela's mother, and you know he you know his friends want him to just kind of like get back into the swing of things, and he's still really upset and coping with that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, we see him now. And he still misses his wife dearly, um, but you know he's running. He's still running his used car sales uh, sales place, and he's doing pretty well. Um, and he loves Angela dearly. Um, and it's one of these things where Craig kind of keeps tabs on them, and the way that he does is through this photography series, basically that he's doing, where he even watches. Angela and Joey hanging out around town and it's incredibly upsetting. It's so sad. He's he's literally documenting the life he does not have. And, pro- and definitely wants. And yeah, wants. because yeah. at one point it goes into his dark room and he has and I forget the He has photog- a binder full of photos of this family that he's he's not allowed to be part of because his dad is a controlling asshole. And, and he puts himself in a photo. He old school photoshops himself into a photo and with Joey and Angela. And it's and that takes a lot of work, by the yeah. way. It's it's not an easy thing to do. And yeah, and it, the photo that nowadays. he photo the photo that he photoshops himself into is the one so 
Angela, his his stepsister, and and Joey, her dad. His half-sister. Sorry, half-sister. Sorry, you're right. His half-sister and Joey, her father, go to visit um, his mother's grave. And he just creeps along and takes sneak photos of them while they're visiting, which is very weird. But he's a kid going through a lot, and this is how he copes. Um, and he takes this photo of them smiling and, and you know, greeting his, his dead mother at her grave, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then he photoshops himself in uh, just a random picture of himself, like, in a, in a, inside, like, in, inside a house, <laughs> into this outdoor scene. But he photoshops himself into this, like, he is part of the family, which is him, Joey, his half-sister, and his mother, it who is present ca- there. It isn't the caption, like, the perfect family or something like that? Like, oh, I he, didn't catch the caption, but, but clearly caption. that's... Clearly, that's the message. Yeah, like, yeah. I think they just go for it, and I don't even mind how overt this is, because no. I think it really reiterates <clears throat> how upset and, it, like, just how upset this kid is, and how upsetting this situation is. And and the worst part, the thing that really put me over the edge, was how Shitlord talks about Craig's mother, and says that she mm-hmm. left him. And I don't know. Is there a story behind this? Not that I recall. We don't have anything really, but it just reads to me that she, like, I just, I, when someone says that, that reads to me as that person was being abused and they were trying to get out of the situation. That's very likely. But then, then, so he, shitlord, holds this lifelong grudge against his ex-wife. Um, how, how for could, leaving him. How could she leave a surgeon for a used car sales? Yes, that yeah. is that is that is a direct quote, and he holds this against Craig because Craig is a reminder of her, and Craig wanting to be part and 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 involved with with his with his half sister, with Angela and Joey is a reminder of the person who left him, who got away from him, who told him, I don't want to be with you anymore. And his ego cannot handle that. So therefore, he cannot handle any interactions with Angela or Joey. And we do see him and Joey interact a few times. And I honestly thought it was going to end in a fist fight. Yeah. Yeah. Joey has punched people in Degrassi in the next generation before. (laughs) So... And and what so did he, punch? he punched that asshole right. producer dude that uh, Caitlin was dating. Completely forgot about that dude. <laughs> it's such small potatoes compared to what so, we're dealing with now. Uh, Joey does the right thing, and he 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 comes up to um, Shitlord, and he he has a he has a f- um, frank conversation with him, like saying, "I I keep tabs on Craig because I care about him, and I I think I know that he." needs to have a relationship with us as as family um and i think we should be doing something about that and to to which to which um shitlord responds by literally literally backing out of his responsibilities and and driving away in reverse from the conversation as joey is trying to problem solve with this man he another joey says just because we hate each other doesn't mean our kids have to hate each other yeah, like Joey's behaving very responsibly. He's he's being a good father and a caring a caring parent for the kid that's not even his own. Yeah, like he he has a responsibility toward Craig that 
like he understands the weight of this and the fact that Angela has a relationship with Craig, mm -hmm. but at the same time is kind of dancing this delicate dance before he knows the situation about Craig being abused, which is like, you know, at the end of the day, Craig's father has a say in Craig's, you know, Craig is not autonomous. He's still a child. So he's trying to respect the boundaries that the father is putting while also trying to acknowledge that those boundaries are not great. And it's a really difficult thing. And as this is happening and as this tension is happening, Craig is also crying for help in other ways. For example, like he is doing like a speech mm. type thing with Quan. He, yep. He's really like not interested in doing the assignment. And then like she pushes him. And when he does, he eventually does a speech about like not caring about disappearing. It, it, what it is, it's it's a existentialist speech about, you know, there are six billion people, at the time six billion, people on this planet, I am a speck of dust on this face of the earth, I am insignificant, and then proceeds to talk about how no one would care if I disappeared. Um, and I, I kind of, I rolled this back, because, like, they're all wearing, like, silly hats in this scene. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's not supposed to be dark. It's like it's like a fun activity. It's like a light speech yeah, yeah, activity. I, I figured that was just like to eliminate. Like Quan's idea was like I'm gonna eliminate the tension in this. Like for I'm gonna make us not feel so nervous talking to each other by everybody's wearing silly hats. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not yeah. it's not a bad technique, and it's a really important skill to learn and all that type of stuff. But like, it just like it's it's it gets very rough. Because, like, you can see him, I mean, it's like any other situation where it's like you're you're finally kind of opening up, but you don't really know how to do it, and it's just, it's really, it's a cry for help. It's a cry for help, and it's it's really upsetting, and it really sets the mental illness aspect. Like, when you are an abuse survivor it really digs into your self-worth in a way yeah. that I think that people who haven't gone through it don't always understand, that you don't see yourself as worth anything. Even if you have evidence all around you that you're not a bad person, even if you're doing well and making friends, that doesn't mean anything because at the end of the day, you're physically and emotionally being beaten down as soon as you leave school or whatever space you are outside of the home. Yeah. Um... I don't know, did we mention that he's made Sean his friend from, like, the jump? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you brought that up. I have a lot of things I want to talk about that relationship, but Can I we, think we need a little more... We need more... We need more yeah. build-up. Um, so one thing we haven't talked about yet is Emma. Yeah, And her relationship to this to. episode. So yeah. Emma, again, at the beginning, the girls, including Emma, were ogling the boys, which in this case is Craig, and Emma clearly has, like, the hots for Craig, which, okay, whatever. Both, both Rebound, of them do. Sure. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and so eventually they actually get to talking because they went to some dance function. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. They were at a wedding. Oh, um, wedding, yeah. And they were forced to dance like most children in, you know, heteronormativity kills. Um, so they were forced to dance with each other at a wedding. Um, so, so, like, you know, she makes the connection and... And then she, she jumps on it. She's like, yeah. oh... I, I see this connection. It's a family connection. Yeah. She 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 babysits babysits Angela. Angela, and so she's like, "Oh, I'm babysitting Angela, and we're having like this this kind of function, family friends function. You should come." 
and just goes for it and invites him. And he's like, oh, I love Angela, I'll go. But yeah. at the same time, he is highly, he's highly guarded because he knows that if, if his, if Shitlord gets wind that he is hanging out with Angela, he is going to get beaten. Yeah. And he's been seeing Angela in secret and hoping that he doesn't find out. Um, and it's just been an escalating throughout the entire two episodes of when his father finds out about interactions with Joey or Angela, he he escalates his physical abuse. Yeah. And Craig is, again, he wants to see his sister. He wa- he desperately loves her. Um, their interactions are so cute. He is such a good brother for her, and and she's very healing for him, clearly, but it comes with a price. Yeah, so what happens is, is that Joey comes to the party because it's, like, Spike's birthday, I think. Yeah. And, like, Spike and Snake, Snake's there, too, um, and um, Joey come, and they're, of course, we know them. They all went to school to each o- with each other and were all on the original Degrassi, so, ha, look, original ca- actors. Um, and he sees Craig, and Craig's just trying to hide in the background. Like, he just kind of just starts, like, walking away and trying to look away, and it's upsetting. You- we talked about it before, how how he carries himself when he's not in a situation where he has to worry about his abuse. Lighthearted, warm, gentle, caring, loving. Charming. Charming. Yeah, he's very, very charming. charming. Immediately when when Joey walks in, and Joey's not someone he has to worry about, but he is a threat to his father finding out about this. And Joey has reached out to his father has made phone calls and yeah, things so like he, that. Yeah, so he knows that if he sees him there, it's a possibility that his father will find out. And that switch, just like that, he is now this caged animal. Yeah. He, um... Uh, he excuses himself from the party once Joey shows up, because I think Joey mentions he called his father. Yeah. I think this is before the, um... Before the conversation at Joey's used car lot. It is. Um... And, um, so Craig walks back home, or head, uh, skateboards back home, and I can just feel, like, the <sighs> bad, like, you, you just know something bad's gonna happen when he gets home, and it does. His, it... his father has gone through his dark room and found the scrapbook. Uh-huh. Well, I even want to think, the thing is, is that Craig doesn't know at first... And this is where the tension is done so well in this episode, because he's silent. He is sitting at the kitchen table. He doesn't say anything. Yeah. Just silence. I just want to, before we get into this, this is going to be the end scene of episode one. Um, this, this note I wrote here. So his father's a surgeon. Yeah. And from what I know about surgeon, and me being fairly related to, to close to that, I'm a scientist myself, and surgeons have no life. If they're they working are. at a hospital, they are, they get like four hours of sleep on average, probably, when they're working at their capacity. This guy, he's got a lot of time to sit around and abuse his kid. Um, he, he, to me, reads like he's probably in plastics, here for money, tracks with his personality, thinking he's better than anyone else, and that he has the right to abuse his kid. Yeah. And, um, no, I think, like, I don't think, like, Craig's like, I'm gonna go to my dark room, and just starts yanking down all the pictures out of fear, 
And then the father comes in, or shitlord comes in, and has the scrapbook. He's like, what is this? What is this? And just starts hitting crap. Well, the room is also in disarray. Yeah, like, so... He, right. he, that's a, and that's classic abuser bullshit, right? Like, yeah. destroying physical objects that mean something to you. Mm-hmm. It's a very effective emotional manipulation. It's a very effective technique of further bringing down your you know the survivor yes he is saying i know what you care about and if you don't obey me i will destroy what you care about and that is the physical destruction of what he cares about and and so this again the scene is he walks into the house his father's sitting silently at the kitchen table he walks to his dark room he opens it finds it trashed and is then immediately panicking before he has time to process anything, his father barges in with the, with the folio, the scrapbook of his, of all the photos he took of Angela, um, with Angela, and his father is just yelling at him, repeatedly. What is it? What what is this? No. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Like a fucking five-year-old kid teasing someone, who's you're hiding the thing that he's looking for. And, and and proceeds to whack him with exactly what he's looking for, which is the folio. And just berating him with, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Starts shoving him into the, the cabinets. Things are falling around him. Shoves him repeatedly while hitting with the folio. And then pushes him on the ground. At which point, he then starts kicking him in the chest. Hard. And... I say this with a lot of gravity because it was a crushing scene. Yeah, because it's like, I feel like people have this image of abuse and they really like look at it in a very physical sense. And in many ways, I feel like people just see it as just a person getting wailed on by another person. But this one really <clears throat> drove, yeah, it there is physical abuse, but there's also this emotional component that is very common and, and definitely there where you see how the father uses words and phrases and the way that he says them in a way to further assert his power. Yeah, so again, so he's, what are you looking for on repeat? And then as he's about to kick him, he says, um, I, ask, I ask one thing of you and, and this is what you give me. And then he kicks him in the chest. And I think he only kicks him once or twice, which is... Which is a detail that I appreciate, is the word I'm looking for here. Because, as Donnie mentioned, a lot of people have this perception of abuse being someone wailing on 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 the child over and over and over, and 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 no 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 let up, no breaks. But that's usually not what happens. There, for the abuse to be effective, there has to be a limit. And the father has the limit of kicking him twice in the chest to get the point across and putting him in pain, but not putting him in a lot of danger of getting found out or of pushing him too far so that it's on that it's that it's on that something will happen, that something will break. Yeah, and it in many ways really embodies like if you're familiar with the term like, you know, the cycle of abuse, 
these two episodes are a very accurate depiction of it because we see the tensions building Mm -hmm. and we see that for a lot of this episode and then we do see the incident. But what is another thing about this, and I think this is where the... This is where I think the two-part aspect of this episode really pays off is because we see the other two steps of the abuse cycle in start of the second episode, which is that reconciliation and then like kind of that honeymoon period. So the the term honeymoon period is is a... Usually refers to domestic abuse between two partners. Um, So there is mounting tension to a point of breaking where there's an incident of physical or, or drastic emotional abuse. And then it's turned around. And, and since the abuser does not want the the survivor to feel like they have to get away because they, the, the point of all this is controlling that person. That is 99% of, of the goal of abusers is to control someone. And so they don't want to scare them away. And so the next step in here, after that trauma, is the, I'm going to lick your wounds. Here is what's called the honeymoon period of, oh, let me reassure you. It's okay. I love you. It's, I don't, I don't mean to do this. I'm, it's, it's, I just get angry sometimes, but I still love you and I care about you. Let me show you how I love you. Yeah. It's putting, it's further, you know, saying like, I'm sorry, let's move on. With let's a lot move of- on. Let's put that behind us. Let's forget it. It, do- it doesn't matter. It didn't happen. And this is physically and, and, and very point. This is a very uh, textbook example of this. The next episode starts, I believe, with yep. with Shitlord handing Craig, um, he drives him to school, and he, he, he says, Craig, oh, you know I love you. Here's here's like $1,000. Go buy yourself a new camera. Go buy yourself a new camera. That thing that you love to do that I destroyed, but let's not talk about that. I destroyed it. But here, let go buy a new camera. I, I care about you. Here, go buy something nice. Let's forget about whatever happened. And to really reiterate the manipulation aspect of this, the last, like, one of the last things the father <laughs> says to him is no hard feelings. Right. And Craig, being the abuse survivor he is, who is trapped into this and has just been given a lot of money, he is forced to say no hard feelings. So, so you have this, he's dealing with it. Um, they also show, like, the bruises on the sides of him. Like, he has physical marks of abuse. They're not <clears throat> outward, like, you know, you might be asking, like, oh, why didn't a teacher say anything? They're all They're easily concealed. Um, which, let's be real, probably is intentional um, on the father's behalf. And... So, Craig is kind of just trying to autopilot through everything. He sees Emma again. Um, and Emma mentions, like, you know, like, oh, she's babysitting Angela again. Um, and Craig really wants to see Angela. Um, so, Emma, you know, has some, some you know, apprehensions, especially because Craig wants to spend some alone time with Angela. For, for the context, Angela has to get home and do homework. Craig really wants to play. Emma her. needs Sorry. to do homework. <laughs> Emma really needs to get home and do her homework, but Craig wants to hang out with Angela, his his half sister. Yeah. So um, he's like, let's go. I want to go to the park. Is it okay her. if I bring her to the park while you yeah. work on your homework? And she is very hesitant, but eventually he pleads her into saying yes. And so he does this. And, you know, they play. It's, again, very sweet and, and heartwarming. Um, oh, we mentioned this before. Okay. So in one of the scenes before where they're playing, they like, 
they 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 imaginary play about like a dinosaur stomping around and this gets brought up again when they're playing in the fields in the park where they're kind of rolling around the grass and angela sees his bruises and she goes what is that and craig being this 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 sweet boy um he he, he responds with remember that dino it bit me and so she responds with does it hurt and and he says he he avoids the question kind of and says and this is just heartbreaking let's find a place where the dino can't hurt us so so craig because he has all this money instead of putting it toward the camera <clears throat> a camera replacement or anything like this plants this idea in angela's head of going to going away to, and running away to British Columbia, um, and you know, of course, as this seed is being planted, Emma's at home. Joey comes home early. He's like, "Hey, like I'm here to pick up Angela." Emma has to admit that Angela is with Craig, and when Joey catches the two of them, they're like buying ice cream. Um, Angela reveals this plan to Craig. And Joey is rightfully very upset. This is his daughter we're talking about. And she is potentially being abducted. And I hate saying that, given Craig's situation, but... No, he's he's about to kidnap yeah. her and run away with her. With he, no actual, like... He he is, is in a very bad place. And to him, this seems very reasonable. Yeah. And and I understand why he's thinking this way. Because he, he needs to escape. He can't deal with this. But he also can't deal with losing Angela, so I don't blame him for this, but it's also very not okay. Yeah, yeah. So so Joey gets really angry. He sees the money. Um, he, you know, he he just attacks Craig. He's in he's in Papa Bear mode, and you know, that is his his kid. Yeah, he, he freaks out and he 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 yells at Craig too, and this is where this is gonna be the turning point of the episode here, where he who has ne- who has since been on Craig's side yells at him to stay away from my daughter. Yeah. Um, which, which is, is, is an emotional, a huge emotional blow to Craig because that is affirming that he is not part of this family and, and will never be part of this family. And that is the only kind of lifelink he's been holding on to, to kind of keep him in check and give him a reason to keep going and surviving the abuse he's been receiving. And then when Craig goes home, he goes from, like, the only way I feel like that, I felt, this was very relatable to me, like, I feel like sometimes the only way that kids who are being abused by their parents can possibly find power is, like, asking for money. So, like, he asks for more money from, I know it's really dark, but. No, it's the only thing you can do, and, and, yeah, he goes home, he's like, you know that camera, I I was gonna buy that camera, but. I really, the one I really wanted was $100 more. And so his father, who's still in the, the, the reconciliation phase, is like, oh yeah, no problem. Let's go to the store together. Which, of course, is, you know, the, the fall because he can't do that because he wants to use that money to escape, was the idea. Yeah. Um, so, after, after Johnny, Johnny? Joey. Joey's confrontation. Sorry, I've just my notes are a little sloppy. Okay. After, after Joey's confrontation with with Craig at the park, um, 
Craig comes home and the phone rings. Mm-hmm. And it's it's Joey on the line. And panic sets in because he knows he knows that Joey's gonna tell him that that he tried to run away with 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 the sister that he has been expressly forbidden from seeing. And there's already been all of this trauma leading up to this and and he knows that what's gonna happen next will be life threatening, or at the very least, really, really bad. So he immediately bolts upstairs into his room. When he has like three bolts on his on his door, he locks all of them. Immediately starts Which is also terrifying to think about. This terrifying. is a kid that has three bolts on his door. Why does he have no children should have deadbolts on their, their bedroom doors. He has probably put them there himself. Yeah. And it's... It's just heart-wrenching to think about. Um, yeah. Um, and he's, like, calling Sean, and he's just trying to, like, be like, Oh, can I crash at your place? It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. He's packing. He's yeah. packing a suitcase. Um, His father has a club, by the way. No, it's a cane. I think. Is it? I thought it was a golf club. It's a golf club. Oh, yeah. Okay, so... So, like... I take it back. I was giving him the benefit of the doubt and thinking, oh, he just walks in with a cane and that was just a... No, he was he was coming up with a golf club. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, coming up with a golf club. He comes up to his door, knocks on it, and finds it locked, and he tells him to open the door in a, in a calm voice. But then he doesn't open the door, so his next step is to immediately start breaking down the door by slamming the golf club through the door. It is legitimately horror story, horror movie shit. Dude. Yeah, and you know it's it's hearkening to that that Johnny's here shining moment, mm-hmm. and it's I will tell you, this was way scarier. Yeah, and and so now we can really kind of unpack this dynamic that is just developing throughout this episode, which is Craig and Sean. And so Craig and Sean hang out and there's just so much said and unsaid. He forgot, forgot to mention that he, Craig is able to jump out his window and meet up. With yeah. Sean. Yeah. He like jumps out of his window and runs and finds Sean. And they're, they're like walking on the train tracks, you know, Kind of like if you lived in an area with train tracks, that's not... It's just what you do. It's just what you do. Um, and the conversation that they have is so heartbreaking. <clears throat> Literally, like, you know, legitimately, like, what is said, but also what isn't said in the exchange. Um, so, like, for context, like, we don't know too much about Sean's past. We know some things. We know that they've impacted him. We know that his mother is an alcoholic. We know that he has had family issues and that as of right now, he doesn't live with his family. He, oh, not that. He doesn't live with his parents. He lives with um, his brother, Tracker. Um, so we know that Sean has had an unstable family life. We don't know everything, but we do know that he is a social worker and we do know that he is dealing with quite a bit of stuff that's really heavy for his age group. You know... Yes, he did wrong things last season. I don't want to excuse it. But this is a kid who has dealt with some pretty heavy stuff that we have seen. And Craig has latched onto him. They are. It's one of those things like you think, oh, it's just chance. But 
I, I think kids pick up on those vibes. Oh, they do. And and they're they're attracted to each other by this this shared versions of trauma. And the 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 left unsaid kind of conversation that happens here that Donnie was hinting at was Craig Craig knows something is wrong. Or sorry. Sean knows something is wrong. Craig is clearly erratic and and distracted and not like himself. And we and know Sean is observant. We have he is seen, very observant. We have seen Sean at his best is when he's the most observant. And, and he knows there's something going on at home family. He, um, Craig says he got into a fight with his father. You know, as a kid, that, that might mean anything very benign. But yeah, so Craig asks, asks, asks um, Sean, I guess it came up in conversation or something. Do your, do your parents ever hit you? And that, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's certainly a red flag and Sean knows this. And... He, he, he kind of inquires about this with, with Craig in this scene here. And and Craig responds with, okay, so so do your parents hit you? To which Sean does not respond, but instead asks, um, well, what, what about you? It, I, I, do you? He deflects. He, he deflects and, and brings the question back to, to Craig because he is, you know, correctly assuming here that Craig is the one who is, who is being hit. Um, but but what Donnie was hinting at before was that there is this unsaid kind of deflection by Sean, implying that he is potentially going through some some similar sort of trauma, perhaps. I I thought that um, I thought that Sean had said no. Does he? I think so. Can we pull up the transcript? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna work on it. Oh, if he says no, just delete that entire fucking scene. Because <laughs> that's just us being wrong everywhere. Right. But, um, anyway, so... So, there's this very, like, incredibly broken aspect of these two talking to each other. Um, it, it, it just reads very... It, it hurts, because, you know, regardless of Sean... Sean, like, whether or not Sean has gone through something like this, he has gone through rough family stuff. He's very observant. He knows something is wrong. And then to cap off, like, something is wrong, a train starts coming at them. So Sean is, you know, like, okay, let's clear out. And Craig doesn't leave the tracks. He just stares back at the train and just stays there and starts laughing. And... The train draws ever near, and Sean is just becoming more and more desperate until Sean just runs just full pelt into Craig and knocks him off the train tracks. And then um, Sean starts yelling at him, asking him what's going, like, you know, what are you doing? And Craig just goes running away. And, and Sean, how Sean deals with this is very reminiscent, like, it makes me remember what I loved about Sean before all the stuff that went down later on in the season, because he lets Emma know, and he and Emma alert Joey to what's going on. Yeah, they do the right thing. They do the right thing, and it's so old school Sean and Emma, like, trying to do good. Apparently there's a deleted scene of them, of Sean talking to Emma. Oh, really? So. Ooh. Well, yeah, I mean, they they do, like, a lot of times we see these teen dramas where they try and solve everything on their own, and this was very refreshing to see them have the maturity to be like, we need an adult. 
This yeah. is not something we can handle. And they're smart enough to go to Joey because Joey goes like, you know, you know, something's up with Craig. You should be talking to his dad. And then they point out, no, it's because the dad is the problem. So they go to somebody that they know has some capacity to do something. Like, it, it the way that they go about it is incredibly... It, it finds that balance between, like, trying to find a way to not make the situation for the survivor worse, but also alerting people t- and trying to find help and support for them. And that's incredibly important for teenagers to learn. And it's one mm-hmm. of the hardest lessons to learn when you have people in your life who are going through this, especially when you're younger. Yeah, they they were really good. Um, I was very I was very I was very proud of them. They they did good, and and so they <clears throat> they talked to Joey and um, it's a search. Yeah, so Craig is missing. He after the train incident, he just runs away, um, and they don't know where he is. He's not responding to any phone calls. If they have cell phones, actually, I don't know. They did. Um, Okay, so he's not responding to anything, and so they search for him, and they don't find him, and it's getting dark, and and Joey is worried at this point, but he wants to give it, like, another half hour before he calls the police, just because he understands this is a very delicate situation, and as as Donnie mentioned, you don't want to put, put, a, put a kid through something that could be make it even worse. So, so eventually, like, Emma, who's at home looking after Angela, we can talk about the gender binary of this another day, um, she is kind of going through and trying to find some sort of hints or clues to where Craig could be, and she figures out, looking through his photo folio thing, um, that the one place they haven't looked is his mother's grave. Oh, and... At, uh, we should also say, at first, Joey doesn't believe them when they say Craig was being abused. Yeah, and, yeah, he oh, says that's a right. big accusation. Like, something along those lines where he's like, you know, I can't just say that if it's not true. And then yeah. Angie points out, Craig, because she, like, she points out, like, Craig had bruises all up and down his side. Yeah. Yeah, so Angela is the one to do the... The, the, the whistleblowing, kind of. Yeah. Um, and it she, sucks. She's the evidence. And it sucks because it, it does, you know, go back to, like, oh, physical abuse and, you know, that's the one that is, you know, that's the one that you can prove and then that makes the, like, you know, then you you know you got them. But, like, you know, whatever. it The, the emotional abuse aspects of this episode are handled well enough that I can kind of look past it to to kind of... And also it does show the apprehension and questioning that people do have toward these types of allegations. So after all of that, um, Joey does go to the graveyard and Craig is there. Um, and the exchange... I There's a lot about this episode, these two episodes I really remember from when I watched it, which I think speaks to like how it hit me. But like... This exchange, I have the angles memorized. Like, and I know it's really weird, but, like, there's something about the way that it's filmed that, for whatever reason, really struck a chord with me. Um, It felt very personal. It felt like you you were there watching this unfold, and it was... It was upsetting. Yeah. Um, But it was was very raw. I think the angles were very, very, like... 
raw angles to convey a raw feeling. Yeah, and and the the, the way that Craig is just kind of looking over his shoulder when he he you know admits that his father beats him. But be- before that, I I just I need to. S- there's a lot that happens in that it's scene, like especially such a between. It's scene, but it's so it's everything. There's a lot of um, body language cues and stuff like that that are mm-hmm. going on. Um, but one thing that really struck, a, well, was very noticeable to me, um, stood out to me. That's the phrase I'm looking for. Is is that Craig, upon seeing everyone show up there, he, his immediate reaction is to to yell at Spinner, not Spinner, to yell at Sean for for ratting out on him he's he's very upset at sean and sean mm-hmm. is just in the back and he's he just has to take it he has he has to let him be angry at him because he he understands and it's it's hard to watch um these friends that are, are caring about him so much to go to such lengths to help him out but they're getting hatred in return and it's it's just hard um but eventually, Joey talks to him, and and he asks him or tells him that we know, we know your father is abusing you. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but to me it felt like you see in Craig's eyes that like that hesitation. It's it's really hard to admit that you're being abused because there's so much emotional controlling all of your your behaviors and your 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 instincts have been molded by this abuser to only to, to never say anything and to throw in when you're a minor and you're a minor and this is your father this is someone if you if you if you take this up if if you do something about this where do you live where do you go exactly um you are de- you are he is a dependent and you see in his eyes that that hesitation that he doesn't he does not want to admit this he feels like he almost can't admit it, but he's at such a raw point where he's well past his breaking point, and he he does admit it. Um, and he, gosh, he does a very good job at acting this. Um, it made me tear up. It, it, it was it was a very raw performance. He really got into the mindset of this character. Um, Craig's actor did. It's very compelling, and I feel like I actually know Craig. Yeah. Whereas, like, you could probably make the argument... Well, you can make the argument, like, there are characters that have been on this show that were on for an entire season, and I don't know them as well as I know Craig. And not even in the, oh, he's the kid that's abused way. It's the, like, you see his emotional capacity at a level that you don't see other characters at all at. And you see it in so many colors too. It's like there was a lot wrong with mostly in the B plot of these two episodes, but the A plot was done so well, I think. And and you saw you saw Craig in in so many facets mm-hmm. and in so much depth too for two episodes, two twenty minute episodes. It was really impressive, and 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 a lot of that is due to his actor um, doing just a phenomenal job, in my opinion, for pretty young kid yeah it's it's just such an amazing thing that like i yeah i agree with you guys and everything but like i 
I know nothing of Craig's history, but like his performance tells me Craig's history. Yes, like, yes. It, it was it was a you know, it was nuanced, nuanced, and it was very much show don't tell. Yeah, and yeah. and a lot of the show was body language. Yes, which we've talked a lot about in this episode, but it was it was so so very good. And Craig, so the scene, so he has that hesitation. He does not want to admit it, but when he does, he he comes undone. His, he, he just utterly comes undone. His, his, his posture, which has been totally activated, stiff, um, agitated posture. He was just a second ago yelling at, at, at Sean for ratting him out. He just, he, he comes undone. All his threads that have been pulling him so tight, these two episodes just come unraveled and he falls apart into joey's arms and he just he sobs and it's 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 incredibly it's incredibly moving and it this was just so well done yeah it's um, just so well done yeah so the episode ends i don't love this part oh I, gosh but the it ends with joey going to um going with craig to craig's father's house um and Joey being like, look, like, you just grab, you gotta grab your stuff and leave. I've talked to your father, like... I'll come in with you, let's do this. Um, but Craig says, no, this is something I have to do alone. Which, I understand the sentiment, and sure, give him the space to, to have that power, but also, he is a minor. Don't... Please, don't... Going into the room, like, a room with his abuser, like... Alone, behind a closed door, just... It ends up okay, but, like, me and Donnie both watching this are like, ah, <laughs> nervous, nervous voices. Yeah, yeah, it was really stressful. And, and when, you know, when he comes in, of course, like, his father is still trying to negotiate this, um, trying to find a way out of this, but Craig is very firm. He's in, very clear. He very clear, um, takes his stuff, goes to the car, and for one of the first times, I think, in this whole entire rewatch, that ominous, like, still frame <laughs> actually works really well. So, to get a little... Some of the conversation that happens here is... So his father's pleading, you don't have to do this, please stay home with me. Um, let's talk. And the, the, um, the manipulation he tries to pull, he is going as low as JT, if not lower. Mm. Um, he... This this one line, I just, I loathe this line. Oh god, I remember this. These line. two lines. Try to block it out. You're breaking my heart, just like your mother. Yep. And I don't even think we need to unpack that. We we know what that's about. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, we know that what that's about. He's he's personified his trauma, his perceived trauma of his wife leaving him, into Craig, and and then. And then he follows this up with, you can't leave, Craig. I love you. Mm. He has oh. never said the words love in this in these two episodes. I don't think he's ever said I love you to Craig ever, except maybe... In this context? In this, of... in this context of I've just beaten you up and now the I need to... The reconciliation phase. He says, he drops the I love you. Which... Yeah, I mean it's it's classic. Um, unfortunately, it does not work. 
because he has Craig now has support. He has Joey behind his back. He has his his new friends that have gone to such lengths to help him out, and he is able to withstand that um, manipulation. And to the point where he responds to that with, uh, I don't remember his exact words, but but no, you you abuse me. You beat me. I I have to leave. Um. And which and, and these are the last lines of the episode. This is the last line of the episode here. His father says, I don't beat you. And Craig just gives him a look like, I'm done here, and leaves. And then he drives away with Joey, and there's your awkward still frame. Yeah. It's, it's a heavy one. Um... I'm curious, Frank, what your rating of this episode would be, all things considered. <laughs> I mean, I did not enjoy... Oh, two episodes. I did not enjoy the journey we went on for, you know, because of the content, but it's just so well told that I, I'm going to give it an A. Um, I would give it an A plus if it wasn't for the JT nonsense. Like, and it's, the A plot is so good that I hesitate to even, like, give it an A minus, like, for the JT stuff. It's just... Yeah. If this is, like, if this is what the show can do, like, yeah, like, I'm still on board. I still want to make it through. It's hard <laughs> as hell to watch, but it's just, it, it. There's so much, there was so much worth in these two episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for someone that doesn't, has not been exposed to or or, or knows about how abusive relationships function this is it, it, it you know especially as a kid watching this maybe their friend is going through something maybe this gives them a clues to be able to read in and maybe help out yeah or, or maybe even understand that something like that is happening to them yeah it, it it is so 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 important to have these stories told in in the justice that this these episodes do to this narrative yeah it's I know it's a real discussion a lot of the time in the context of YA and things like that. Like, you know, what is it worth going dark? Like, is it worth telling these types of stories? And I think that when they are done in a way that's nuanced and when it's done in a way that shows and can help help a reader, a younger reader, potentially articulate their needs or their friend's needs mm-hmm. or... Um, you know, at the end of the day, also, this is a character that we can kind of see, like, hopefully, fingers crossed, like, he will have plots that aren't just this. This will not be his only feature. And we saw that he is quite likable. And we saw that he can operate in other spaces and be someone, you know, be more than just an abuse survivor is really important. And it's a really good overview of a lot of that jargon associated with abuse, um, that sometimes is really hard to get through in like a health class or something like that. But a kid could watch this and understand how turbulent an abusive relationship is. Maybe not always know the terminology of it, like what Gwyn and I were using, but can still identify it, articulate it, and analyze it. And and there's some very effective aspects of it. There's just so much going on in this episode in a way that not only depicts physical abuse, but emotional abuse. And how both of those 
can reduce you and your sense of being to such a low, like your perception of yourself just gets so busted. Um, so I, I agree. I think it's a very effective episode. A bit jarring in certain ways for it being an opening to the season, but I think it also kind of showed that look like we know that a lot of the first season was a bit goofy and there were growing pains but like we want to we want to go there that in a way that Degrassi eventually becomes so well known for I, yeah I mean I've okay when I mentioned way earlier in this episode um that I had seen a few episodes out of order I saw a few from this season maybe just one but I think these two episodes were like the tone setter yes. for the season because to my knowledge this season really 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 goes for it really has some hard-hitting episodes and does it fairly well at least from the one that i saw um i don't think i'll be on that episode i think so many people already clamored for it i know <laughs> um hopefully they follow through but i think it's the tone setter and it was jarring but that was also kind of the point yeah um, so I guess we'll go to character rankings. We do have newer characters that we can kind of add to the the scoreboard, I guess. Um, so Frank, if you're up for... Okay. Um, uh, I'll start with the new, with our newest, um, Craig. You're hopping way up there immediately. Just, like, how much he loves his sister, like, just really got to me. It, I... Like, the fact that, like, he's, even in his panic, he still threw the scrapbook into his bag. Just broke my heart even more so. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and, like, he's, a, he, I, I agree fully, he's a good boy, and I want to see more of him. Um, I think he's a, a, an excellent addition to the show. Um, uh, um, Joey is hopping in there yeah he's on the rise for stepping up the way he needs to mm-hmm. um shitlord is hanging down in degrassi hell with the child molester that guy from the mall and somebody else down there um so for like he he gets to join the list of terrible men from the show um emma is on the rise for just being there to help and for having boxing gloves. <laughs> uh, Manny, too. Um, I really want more Manny. Me, like, too. Oh, my God. I, I'm wilting with the Manny content. Um, JT and Toby, you're continuing to enjoy being bottom feeders. Uh, Paige on the rise again for showing humanity, but also remaining Paige. <laughs> um, Ashley is staying where she is. Uh, we didn't really get much from her. No, we gotta, we gotta see how that unfolds. Spinner and Hazel on the rise for, um, helping to crush JT. Um, which I know is a shitty thing, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Snake... And Spike, I I sent a text to Donnie. Oh, no, actually, Hazel's going down in my estimation, because Hazel... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. The- <laughs> Hazel compared JT to Frodo. <laughs> Insulting. Like, how dare you? How dare you? Like, um... 
Snake and Spike, I'm really hoping you're going to start dating because that would be fucking amazing. <laughs> They're not. What's what's like what's the deal with all this? You will find out in a couple episodes. So anyway, um what is there did I miss anybody? Um I mean, I think those are kind of I mean, Sean if you want to Okay, so here's the thing about Sean because I don't It's I, hard. I don't like what he did last week. So what I'm going to do is basically I'm going to tie my estimation of Sean to Emma's because Emma is the one he hurt the most. And if Emma is willing to forgive him, I'll give him a chance. But until then, he's remaining where he is, which is towards the bottom. I think that's fair enough. Like, in the context of, like, TV, where I feel like consequences, like, play out and everything. And, like, regardless, you're going to have him still on the show. Like, I think that's fair enough. Like, I'm I'm happy with what he did. He, like, busted his ass to try and help. And, like, he knew enough to stay quiet when, like, you know, he was getting yelled at by Craig. And that, that broke my heart, because, like, it was just, I felt like that was just going to, I'm still, I'm still upset with you, Sean, but I can understand, like, that, um, I can still understand your, tr- like, that what Craig said is just going to be added to the Greek chorus in Sean's head of that he Ugh. is is that he is just not worth it. Mm, um, yeah. So. <sighs> so, yeah. Um, I think that's everybody. Yeah, yeah, oh, more no, or less. Angie is a pure and wonderful angel who will never do anything wrong. Angie, Angie is at the top. Like, <laughs> I feel weird ranking a child. Like, no, she's, she's a they're all baby. children. She's, she's I great. know, but she's a baby child. She she was delightful. She she's a really good kid. She's so cute. And she she's so cute. I think now I I should probably fact check this before I say it on the podcast. I'm fairly certain that the actress that plays her is the actress that plays Manny's little sister. I don't. I. When did we see Manny's little sister? No, no, I mean like the actress. Oh. That is Cassie Steele's little sister. Okay, okay. You, you didn't phrase that correctly. I'm sorry, I was trying. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that would make sense because they both of those are both of them are just very adorable. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I, I'm fairly certain they are related. Um. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um. I guess we'll move on to recommendations. Yes. Yeah. Um. So. My recommendation is uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 4, Diamond is Unbreakable. Um, and the reason because of th- because this is, um, I love JoJo's. It's really good. Any part that you get into has its merits. Part 4 is my personal favorite. And one of the big reasons why is because of the character Okuyasu, who is a very nuanced look at an abuse survivor, especially considering it's an anime and manga. Um, and a large portion of the story is about um okuyasu gaining autonomy after being abused by um his father and then his brother um and how he kind of learns to stand on his own two feet and the way that he perceives himself after this abuse is once again very nuanced like he beats himself up he he sees himself as lesser or stupid because he's internalized it his whole life um, and, of course, there's all the zany antics of JoJo's and stands and 
fun, weird side characters. It's the one with with the pasta and punching the spaghetti and stuff. And like, so it has all the wackiness of of a JoJo part, but it also has these very, very good teenage characters. Um, it's a great riff on Slice of Life, and it has this very interesting and very compelling abuse narrative line throughout it. So, um, which everybody seems to be missing out on, like. And nobody gives it the credit it deserves. Yeah, I feel like Okuyasu fans give it the credit. Oh, well, yeah, but Okuyasu fans, that's that's partly why they're fans. I know. I, I edited a zine about Okuyasu, so I, I love the character a lot. But please check out part four if you have not. If you are somebody who maybe is on the fence about JoJo, it's not a bad part to jump into. Um, there's just very good characters, very good kids. And honestly, if you like Degrassi, I feel like you would like this. <laughs> When when Donnie says jump into this part, you, you there's you don't need much backstory. The parts are standalones. So feel free to jump in. Yep. Uh I'll give my recommendation and so <laughs> I'm gonna recommend uh Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, which uh oh. Was that what Frank had on his mind? Because we just, I just edited uh, episode 13 <laughs> and Donnie recommended Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> well, coming back, hopefully for a different reason. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, keep anyway, going. If you've heard that episode, um, this will air after that, um, of course. <laughs> keep going. I want to hear, I love hearing other people's takes on Hunchback. So, Hunchback, uh, if you're familiar with the story, if you've seen the Disney movie or not, um, which, you know, it's a Disney movie, and it's meant for kids, so there's the talking statues, um, and they're bad jokes that we have to deal with, um, but hey, ultimately, it's very, very good, um, and, and, uh, name frollo no quasimodo quasimodo the main character of the story the hunchback of notre dame um you know he's he is a, a disabled character um and is is neuroatypical and his his guardian is is this character frollo who is in a Oh, in many ways, in positions of power over him, and... in has position of power in the community. Has position of power in the community, and he abuses the hell out of this poor... This poor boy. Um, and it never really stops. And, of course, his position of power in the community makes it so that he can't really get help, because Frollo um, is always going to have the last say. And the power dynamics that we saw in in this in these these two episodes and the abuse that we saw in these two episodes are, are fairly well mirrored in the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Again, another I think really great portrayal, and I said really great with a heavy heart portrayal of of abuse, um, especially of abuse in a paternal as a paternal figure. And what's great about the Hunchback, and this is mild spoilers, but, like, you know, this book's been written for hundreds of years, is that Quasimodo, um, in the original take and in the, the, the musical production of it on stage, 
he he stands up for himself and he ends up killing Frollo. Frollo is never he's never he's not given redemption and you know that 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 seems like something that I shouldn't have to say is so novel um because why would we give redemption to abusers who have done these horrible things and have perpetuated them on purpose for many many years but we see that all the time and especially father figures we see them forgiven for the shit they do because family matters most and and in cases like this and in cases like we saw with these two episodes that's not family that's not a family we know what a family is a family is joey and angela and craig Um, I see, I, I was like, and this isn't my recommendation, but I was like, I was on the fence with that because like, I kept thinking to myself, like, I want, like, I hate shit Lord so much that I want something bad to happen to him. But I felt like having violence happen to him was just violence begetting violence. Yeah. I'm not... I, it makes sense in the context of Hunchback of Notre Dame. So, so yeah, there, there is, there there's is... There's a siege on the cathedral. There, <laughs> like... is, there is, like, a literal battle happening, and this is this is within the context of that, of that story. The... Craig's father does not need to die. He needs to go... He needs consequences. He needs to probably lose his job, maybe go to prison. Um, who knows if that happens, but... Uh, At the very least, we see Craig not forgive him, mm-hmm. yeah, the, which is the most important thing. The punishment thing I wanted was, like, his house burns down and his car and his place of employment in such a way that looks like he did it himself and he goes to jail and loses everything. Ooh! <laughs> like, I'm just like, uh, what's, there's a line from some stupid action movie, it's like, take everything, leave them nothing. <laughs> But yeah. Leave, yeah. Uh, leave shitlord with no. Nothing. Yeah, and and he's he is a materialistic person. He's focused on his his assets, his self image of self importance. I want that stripped. <laughs> I want him stripped of all power, and and like the last scene of this two, the second episode here does a good job at doing that. Craig does not. He has been manipulated his entire life with him probably, and he does not give him he no longer holds power over him at least in that scene which was very good um, so we're getting back into analyzing the episode which is what happens i guess uh, my, yeah. my recommendations um one uh honestly like season four of the the original teen titans animated show kind of deals with this um with raven mm. coming to like dealing with her father's abuse oh yeah like there's this great line at the end where she's just like you're like he's like you're my child she's like you're not my father like fathers are kind and supportive they don't hurt their children like these like my friends and my family and like the monks were my family not you um mm-hmm. oh raven yeah i forgot about that um that show <laughs> teen titans was the animated tv show that went there they had, a, in- whole, they had a whole episode about racism <laughs> They did, like, I loved like it was it was a really <laughs> was good really series. Yeah. It was very formative. It it was subtly subversive um, in good ways, and it was it was pretty dark. Yeah, but I was never upset with it being dark as as a as a kid watching it, which is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Um, but, and this is the, like, the, um, relationship between, like, vaguely remind me of this, like, it reminded me of, and I, I've been meaning to recommend this game and this anime for a while, Persona 4, um, because, like, in the game you do these things called social links to power personas, and one of the, the two social links are your cousin and your uncle, and, like, they have a relationship that's vaguely like shitlords and um, Craig's, in that like his uncle, like his cousin, reminds his uncle of his dead wife, and that causes him to want to work to be away from her, and like your whole social link is getting these two to like, or like getting the the uncle to realize I've been a neglectful, terrible father, and like to remind your cousin that like she's loved by her, her father. And even beyond all that, I love Persona 4. It is a great game. I know Atlas's other games are very problematic in certain aspects, but Persona <laughs> 4 is... There's it, always going to be problematic things with Atlas, but, like, this is probably one of the least ones, is yeah. my understanding. Kanji, Kanji Tetsuo is still... Uh, I still love that boy. <laughs> He's wonderful. <laughs> thank, thank you for bringing that up, though, because, like, we've been talking about how this was so terrible that... You know, this is a, a bad example of someone focusing on projecting dead wife onto another person and having to be awful. But there can you can turn it around. You can you can have character growth. Yeah. As long as you're not beating your child. Yeah, no. The, the... Avoiding them, like those are those are real struggles. People have adults have they have their own issues, and sometimes they deal with it poorly. As long as you're not abusing your child, it's you can, you're allowed to get work on it. Yeah. So I guess, <laughs> change change gears. Um, if you would like to continue this conversation with us, you can absolutely email us at ihopepod at gmail .com. You can also follow us on Twitter or tweet at us at ihopepod, um, and then you can also contact us on Tumblr at ihopepod. Um, if you want to continue this conversation. Also, if you're interested in talking about how this episode or other episodes impacted you in any way, feel free to send us a write-up or a recording at our email address and um, we will either play it or Frank and or I will read it. Um, we also um, would love to have you as a guest if that's something that you're interested in. We have a lot of people lined up for season two, but obviously if there's something that really moves you, we will try our best to fit you in. Um, so if you are interested in that, please also email us. If you'd like to talk to me individually, um, I am always up for talking. My Twitter account is at DM is unbreakable. Um, so <laughs> going back to part four, that's <laughs> now people know what my Twitter username comes from. Um, but feel free to talk to me about Degrassi or JoJo's or whatever, um, and I would love to hear from you. Um, I'm at Stuck Dancing on Twitter. If you want to hit at me, I don't really want to interact with people on Twitter with my 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 <laughs> my, my like personal account. Um, I haven't made a like a, a work friendly account other than this thing I side project I did, but. You can find me. Maybe I'll make a professional one. Very cryptic. Thank you, Quinn. E Sorry. Eventually, I'm going to start writing Degrassi JoJo Bizarre Adventure crossovers, and you'll find those at Degrassi is not Crash. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's good. Sean Ship Crusaders. <laughs> <laughs>
So let's that's a good levity to kind of end this on. Um, because it was a bit of a, a rough one, and thank you if you've actually made it to this point in the episode. Um, we hope we can continue to make it through, and we hope you're going to be there with us. Um, until next week, everybody. Bye. <laughs> My